1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Got your Bibles, you're ready. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. Somebody said amen. Amen. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake, as those of us in the room, or asleep, as our Brothers and sisters who have preceded us, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Lord, we thank you today, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessed hope, the great gathering in, Lord, of your people that we have an expectation towards that we're looking forward to, Lord, that we keep watch for. Lord, help us, God, to stay awake, alert, having our lamps trimmed and filled, Lord, awaiting your return. Jesus, just stir us up today, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way in this house today, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The Lord will come like a thief in the night, sort of the the brother or the cousin of the idea of no one knows the hour or the day. Here in Thessalonians, it begins to paint a, a different picture for us of the Lord's return. Piggybacking off of the gospel of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 32, where it says, now learn This parable from the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, everybody say, when you see. see. There are things that we are going to be able to see. There are things that we're going to be able to recognize. When you see, just like When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see all these things, know 
that the end is near at the doors. As we said in part one when we began this, every, every generation whose heart is on fire for Jesus is anticipating and looking towards and, and even in that generation seeing things that they might be like, oh, it's our generation. Now, one thing's for sure, that our generation today is closer to the coming of the Lord than the generations that have preceded us. Somebody say amen. amen. There's many things prophetically that have been happening, obviously, throughout history and some things even in, in more recent decades that is lining up more and more with Scripture, having to do with the nation of Israel being God's time clock, having to do with the advancement of technology that just keeps on pushing us forward, making us be able to see the nearness of the coming of the Lord. But in Matthew 24, 43, jumping off of verse 30, 32, it says, But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. If you're not aware, this is a, the teaching of Christ in Matthew 24. The master of the house, anybody for us, for that matter, any of us, if we knew that Somebody planned to rob your house at 10 p.m. tonight, and you got the memo. We're not going to get different opinions on what different people would do. <laughs> that might be a little, a little disturbing for some of us. But I think the, the point is, is that we would all prepare our homes we would make safe our families. We would secure whatever valuables that still might have an opportunity to, to be accessed. We'd bring our dogs inside if you have an outside one. I know some of you are thinking about your doggy or your cats. Who's thinking about their cat? No. Cats can stay outside. I'm sorry, but as they said, I had a bad experience. <laughs> I've owned a cat one time and for the last time, but I love your cats. They're so cute and precious. Verse 44 in Matthew 24, therefore, you also be ready talking about that thief, if you had known the hour and the day and the time and what they were coming after, you be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We can notice the seasons. We can, we can look and as we learn the Bible and as we learn different aspects of the word of God and in current history, historical history, we can begin to learn the timeline and some of God's indicators. One of those indicators that we can now see in 1 Thessalonians is that people, when they say peace and security all over, peace and security. Now, this is, this is an interesting one because we'd already mentioned and taught that in the last days, there's going to be difficult days. Amen. 
There's going to be chaotic days. There's going to be these weird diseases that pop up and all of a sudden have all given our governments seemingly more permission or right to access our personal life, even in democracies like the U.S. It's different in places like China, and I'll mention and allude to that in just a moment. But we can know the seasons just like as in my front yard, the simplest of identifiers that fall is here and that the weather is going to be turning cold real quickly is that my front yard is filled with leaves. Gabriel, where are you? Your job is up. Get the rake out. It's like come fall, come late middle October, late October. I can't find Gabriel anymore when I get home. It's like Gabe's gone. He's disappeared. My leaf raker upper. We still got 50 bags of leaves. Does anybody need any mulch? I got 50 bags of leaves from last fall still sitting on, on the front corner of the lot. But it's an indicator. It's an indicator that fall is here. It's an indicator that winter is around the corner. It's an indicator that there's some work that has to be done in the yard. And so when people begin to say in verse 3, while they are saying peace and security, then, boom, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's a weird thing. There's a, there's a whole array of different things that are going to be happening as we come into these end days. We obviously have been in them since the days of Christ, but as we nearer and grow nearer to the coming of the Lord, there's going to be these difficult days, but at the same time, as I say every service, within the house of God, within the lives of the people of God, there is going to be a sense of the presence of God. There is, as you would, this place right here, though it is behind some steel and some different things, this is the cleft in the rock, not as a structure, but as the people of God being in here in worshiping. So there in these difficult days coming, there is still a, there's this little cleft. There's this place where the people of God can live. They can journey. There can be provision. There can be this sense of peace and safety and security. But out there where the the tornadoes and the hurricanes, and I'm not talking about the natural disastrous type of ones, but in a spiritual sense where they're they're whipping and they're roaring out there, there's going to become, as we began to mention last week, that man of perdition and and some of the, the ones that will work with him will rise up. And one of the things that we'll be looking towards is when there is this facade of peace being offered to the people of this earth. There's going to be a unification of, of nations. There's going, to be a, there's going to be a unification in, a, in an order that's going to be brought about on a world scale. And there's going to be one that's talking about peace and, and security. And, and so you have to understand there's two different aspects of this. There is peace in provision, in presence, in our walk with Christ and in the house of God. But on a, on a world scale where people whose hearts remain hardened 
against Christ and lies remain refused to align with the walk of God. This facade of peace is going to be offered to all mankind that somehow it can be brought about by human cooperation. Things that we need to begin to watch out for. The only place of peace and provision that we need to be seeking is that from our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know it might, for some of us, it it might be a new thought and it might sound a little bit radical, but trust me when I tell you, it is the truth. Jesus is the only one who's going to keep you sane. Jesus is the only one who's going to keep you provided for. Jesus is the only one that's going to be pushing you through even when situations and circumstances are not lining up for you today. Jesus will be there for us. Sophisticated nations. You think I'm about to talk about America. Sophisticated nations like China. Even today, we, on the hindsight of our pandemic, which has for the most part seemingly just like vanished. But there's other nations like China now that are continuing the experiment and probably will never, in my opinion, back off from it. We have our school in China, as many of you know, and on a much reduced scale these days than it was back in the good old days, we say. But nonetheless, we have these students and we have this, this little community and our team, they have to get tested like 10, they got to get tested every day, but on some days, multiple times a day to just go out to go to school. Because if you're in certain industries, school, medical, these sort of things, it's not everybody. If you want to leave the city, you got to be tested. Well, what is it? Is it the test or is it something else? Well, now in all the devices, there is the ability to track the whereabouts of every single person and every single place by way of the test. If you don't get tested, leaving the city, and you end up in another city, it will alert whatever little cyber thing, cyber thing in the sky, and all of a sudden you'll be getting pinged on your phone that you need to show up at the nearest wherever. You see, it's already beginning to take place. Things you will see. You see, we're not, we're not doomsday preacher. I mean, on, on quite the contrary, we are very optimistic and hopeful for the future because of Christ and his second coming. But when you see these things begin to happen, no, like a fig tree, when its branches tender and leaves are coming forth, you know that the time is near. So we can look around, we can open up our eyes, and we can begin to see and determine and interpret the days that we live in. But let's go on from there, and let's talk about in verse 8 where it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, let's talk about us, the house of God, the people of God. It says, but since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, we belong to the day. That sounds very simple, right? But it's it's life, it's life transforming. 
that we as a people, we're no longer people of the night. We think of woman of the night. We were at the Mary Song banquet on Friday, and there's just testimony after testimony. And so think of the woman at the well. Think of women of the night. But here's the thing. We were all people of the night. All people of the night. Sneaking and jiving. Hiding and lying. All of us were people of the night until Christ came and burst forth in our life. Now the word of God says, you're now people of the day. We live in the day. We walk in the day. What does that mean? Just like on one Wednesday night, two Wednesdays ago, it was nighttime. We, we did just the most deep, difficult illustration ever. We turned off the lights. And then we flicked the switch back on. One second there was darkness, the next there was light. That's what the word of God is telling us. That we are no longer a people of the night, but now we are a people who walk in the light. We're not hiding in the shadows any longer. We're not even, the night doesn't even blind our sight any longer. That's why when we are a people of the day, that's why it says that this day should not surprise you. I'm telling you, it's like walking in those, I hate the Pearl River swamp at dock 30 plus 15. Man, because when that thing gets dark, I don't mind the dark in the morning, Mr. Perry. In the morning, it's fine. You know why it's fine? You go there in the dark in the morning. You know why it's fine? Because you know light's going to be there in like 10, 15 minutes. And you're just like shivering in your pants like, come on, light, before the, before the swamp monster comes and gets you. Yeah, I believe in Sasquatch. In the, in the, hours, in the hours of 5.30 to 6 o'clock in the morning and 6.30 to 7.30 at night, I'm a believer. But at nighttime, oh my goodness, once that light disappears and you're there all by yourself and you're five miles back and that light ain't coming back for another 12 hours. You better hope your boat starts up. You better hope your thermocell doesn't run out of propane. I'm sorry. I told you I was unseasoned. We're a people of the day. We don't fear Sasquatch. We don't have to worry about in the, in the darkness of the night running into big old thorn bushes that are going to just create havoc on your face and through your clothing. The thorn bushes of life that when we were people of the night, we're just walking as idiots, walking through this life. And it's as if we're just walking into one thorn bush after the next, willingly. But now we are a people of the day. There's light in our eyes. We can look around and we can see. We can now look around and we can now discern. We can look around and we can now interpret what's happening around us. We no longer sound like idiots when we begin to try to talk about the days and the times that we live in because light has come not only to our eyes, but light has come to our hearts. 
In 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. That's pretty clear. I mean, not a lot of room for misinterpretation there. And we do not practice the truth. But, it's a very big but. It's a very accessible but. It's kind of weird saying but in that context. (laughs) But, (laughs) if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the indicators that we have been translated or transferred or brought out from darkness to light, one of the the major indicators is the fellowship that we now keep. It's the fellowship that we keep. Think about it. Now, don't, don't anybody go screaming out loud. Think about the fellowship that you kept before Christ. There was a lady who testified Friday night just with light full in her eyes. She says, for 18 years, I lived as a homosexual and for 12, and drug addiction. And for the last 12 months, she has come out of darkness and into light and has been completely, you would never know it. You would never know it by looking at this beautiful lady just full of Jesus. 18 years and 12 months clean, 12 months walking with Jesus, 12 months in the identity that Christ created her in. It's the fellowship. Think about the fellowship that you kept before Christ. When you come into the light and all of a sudden your eyes are open, your heart can now see and perceive, and you look at the fellowship that you once kept, you're like, you know what? It's not a judgment thing. It's a, you know what? I'm going to create a new circle of fellowship. Fellowship with Christ. We can start worshiping. We can start reading his word. Fellowship with one another. Listen, part of walking in the day is fellowshipping with the body of Christ. Koinonia. It's the fellowship of the brethren, the sistren. When one starts to pull their fellowship away and people start to isolate themselves, we ask, well, why, why isn't it okay? Why isn't it okay just to walk alone and to be isolated? Because we're called to walk in the light in fellowship with one another. It's an indicator. It's one of those little red flags that start flapping in the wind. When we as a people want to pull ourselves away, away from the fellowship of the light. He's brought us out of darkness, where in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a nation. We are a reach community nation. 
here today. Actually, we're not. <laughs> ah, that sounded good. That made good preaching, but it's actually not true. <laughs> but I like that. Oh, yeah, good preaching, Pastor. We, as individual people of God, we are of the nation. We're Havanians in this room, and we have our little, you know, jurisdiction of reach community. <laughs> a holy nation, collectively, as the people of God, a holy nation. His own special people. Look at the person next to you and tell that person, you're special to Jesus. That is just amazing to me that I'm special to Jesus. Because I tell you, I spend most of my, I spend most of my week and most of my life just thinking to myself just how normal and unimpressive myself and life is. But all of a sudden, I'm reminded again, I'm special to Jesus. He drew me out of the fellowship of darkness, and he drew me into the fellowship of his love in the fellowship of light. It says that we are a special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, nothing is hidden. Let me encourage you today. Live a transparent life. Live an open life. Live an inviting life. Invite people into your life. Invite people into your home. Invite people into your family. Invite yourself into others' homes and families and lives. <laughs> of people of the light, we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to hide. It takes a little time at first. We kind of we need a minute to kind of get used to this new, like, transparent, authentic, open type of lifestyle. But this is, this is who we are called to be. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Even all of our past and all those things that we did in Christ when we've come into the light, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We own it. We release it to God. We're forgiven of it. And we walk in the light of his newness. Walking in the day provides the light needed for clarity. It provides the light needed for understanding. It provides the light needed so that there are no surprises ahead. We have a policy that we try to live by. We don't always succeed, but we have a policy that says no surprises. We try not to surprise people or our family. Or we, try not to, we try to do things that, that, that gives people a kind of a heads up, a shout across the bow. No surprises because as the people of the light, we are walking in clarity, in understanding, so that there are no surprises. When it pertaining to the second coming of the Lord and his return, no surprises. No surprises. Even though we can't pinpoint that 10 o'clock hour, that 11 o'clock midnight hour, no surprises. When that day happens and he, he bursts forth in the sky, it might be like, whoa, but it's not surprising because we're expecting his return. So what does it mean as we continue to just elaborate on what it means to be part of the day? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians again in chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet 
of the hope of salvation. So when in this passage, when it's talking about walking in the day and keep in mind in the passage from Thessalonians that we read, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, there are two mentionings in there regarding sober living. Everybody say sober living. And you go and look at what sober living means. Well, we can first of all just say this, that as being a people of the day, we are called to sober living. And I'm not only referring to sober from substances and serving, sober from mind-altering or, or life-altering substances that we put in our physical bodies, but I'm talking about sober in regards to how we are perceiving this life and this world and our time here upon this planet. Sober, the first thing, you go look at both of those sobers in the Word of God, and the first thing that you're going to see is to abstain from wine. And obviously that not being a, an isolated substance, but one that's actually representing anything that will alter your ability to think, react, make decisions, etc. But it doesn't stop right there. It goes on to sober is to keep watch. Sober is to be calm and collected in spirit. So part of being sober is not being as reactive. I need help with that one. I mean, I've, been, I'm, I've come a long way. 29 years into it, or 30, I keep wanting to downgrade it, 30 years into it, I've come a long way, but still, I mean, staying calm, my wife has a favorite saying that she likes to say to me, I'm going to only say it because she's not right there, she's probably over there, but she's like, she's like, just, she looks at him, she's like, you don't need to get riled up, I'm like, I'm not riled up at all, what are you talking about, just calm down. You don't need to yell. I'm not yelling. What do you even mean? She's like, baby. Calm. Everybody say calm. Calmness is a fruit of the spirit. I mean, it's a, it's a part of who we are. And some of us do better at, at, at others. But to be calm and collected in spirit. To be temperate. To be circumspect. And that word circumspect is is just a a word that means to to be careful. So to be sober is to be careful with how you're living and walking your life. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You see, sober living... You have, to, you have to look at the case for abstinence. You say abstinence from what? Abstinence from anything that would be warring against your soul. Abstinence, it's the case for abstinence in order to protect our souls. So many times we want to we lean to the side of the liberties that we have, but I would, I would implore us to lean towards a side of 1 Peter 2.11 to abstain from anything that's fleshly that is actually fighting against 
the purposes of God in your life. Let's put it to us like this, and this is gonna this is gonna mess you up a little bit, at least maybe one or two of us. But let's put it like this when we talk about the case for abstinence. It's not doing anything that you don't want to be found doing. Y'all know where I'm going with that? When Jesus returns, abstaining from that thing in your life. You see, there are things that maybe we need to just, we need to, what's the word I'm looking for? Moderate. Thank you, Jamie. (laughs) Nobody help me. I didn't wait long enough. And then there are things that we just need to abstain from. And it's very easy. We're talking about the second coming of Christ. We're talking about Jesus in any moment type of return. Okay. So we believe that, and yes, there are signs, and yes, there are things that we are looking, there's prophetic timelines and things that we're looking at, but in our heart and how we're living, we're living as in any moment return. So with that in mind, what do you not want to be found doing? I'm getting a little, I'm like jittering in my jeans a little bit. What do you not want to be found doing when Jesus bursts forth on the scene? That's the case for abstinence. It's not the case, yeah, we have liberty in Christ, and yes, there's grace, and there's mercy, and there's the idea of of stumbling into certain things that are temptations and certain things that we're still walking through getting the victory, but then there's other things where we're just like, no, I'm just good. I'm just going to sort of journey casually through life, and, and I'm not really concerned about that. Both we need victory, but the ones that we're making the decisions about how we're getting up and how we're living today and what we're going to be found doing when Jesus bursts through the sky, let's abstain from anything that we don't want to be found doing when Jesus returns. The case for abstinence, it's radical, but the Holy Spirit has empowered us. The word of God strengthens us, gives us the direction, gives us the sustenance that we need. It goes on from there, and we're talking about, we're talking about what it means to belong to the day. So number one was sober, careful, abstaining from these things. Number two was this, this idea of putting on the breastplate of faith and love every day. I mean, faith. And love is something that you get up and you clothe yourself in. You get up and you clothe yourself. I mean, just think of how horrified your neighbors and your workers would be if you got up and before clothing yourself, you got in your car and drove to the grocery store. Lord, help us all. No, you don't do that. You get up. And you clothe yourself so that you won't be embarrassed, so that others won't be horrified. You clothe yourself. How much more when we get up to clothe and to protect our vitals, protect our heart, protect those areas of our life that, man, you get something in there. As we already said some weeks ago, Guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. The breastplate of faith and love 
covering the vitals of our spiritual walk with Christ. What does it mean to walk in the day? You're getting up in your clothing and protecting yourself. You're protecting your heart. You're picking up the helmet and you're putting on the helmet. And the helmet is the hope of salvation. When every thought, when every, when every lying thought comes to your head, whether it's from a doctor or whether it's from an ex, whether it's from some enemy in your life, we, we're putting on the helmet because that hope of salvation, that hope of the blessed hope, Jesus is coming back for me. Our time here is short. In the twinkling of an eye, I shall be changed and I shall be like him. There's grace, there's forgiveness. The hope of salvation guards your thoughts. We take captive them. The reason we can take captive is because of the protection that we have from the hope of salvation. Stronger than any lie that you're being told. Guarding you against the lies of the enemy. We are people who walk in the day. Part of this hope that we have is this great gathering in that's going to happen. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Matthew 24, 29, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the next. Drop down to verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but as the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage. Life was just going on as normal until the day that Noah entered that ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 17 says, And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and 52 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Not so much a mystery anymore because he's told us. We shall not all sleep. 
but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We are a people who are looking towards and anticipating this twinkling of an eye moment. This moment when we're forever changed and we're forever with Jesus. There's some comfort in knowing as you read through Matthew and we talk about the days that are ahead and some of the difficult days, but, but one thing is for sure is that the Bible tells us that we are not a people who are appointed to wrath, but instead we are a people who are appointed to salvation. And so with that in mind, this great mystery that might have been a mystery before has been revealed to the people of God by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit that we can now interpret the times. We can now prepare ourselves. There's coming a day when this great mystery will just happen in a moment of time when the wheat will be separated from the weeds, when the angels of God will be sent to gather in the harvest, the great harvest of Christ's bride. But like in the days of Noah, and I think about the days of Noah, and it's like, Lord, how, why did you have to put that in there in Matthew 24 when you're talking about your coming? He's trying to keep us from falling asleep. He's trying to keep us awake. We, we're so tiptoeing so often when we talk about these things of eternity and the reality of these things. But here in, in Jesus' big dissertation on his coming and what to look for and how to be prepared, he says, don't forget to remember what happened to Noah and the people in his day. They were just going about, going about their life. Seemingly happy, seemingly good. All of a sudden, one day, a tide started coming in. I think this is kind of how it happened to some. We don't know exactly, but before it started raining for 40 days, it's like the tide came in and the water just started increasing in the ditches and in the sloughs. And in the bayous and in the canals and in the, the rivers, just water just kept on increasing. But that didn't alarm them because it says that they just kept on going until the flood was upon them. The water just kept on. It was like this tide cycle just stopped. And the, the, the deeps opened up. And it just, next thing you know, they're sort of walking around in a little bit of water every day. Like, what is going on here? There's a little bit of water going on. This is weird. Next thing you know, before long, we know the story. And the heavens broke forth for 40 days. And once the heavens broke forth with the earth releasing its waters, remember the days of Noah, that they went about their life until the flood just in its, all its wrath overtook them. This day is not a mystery any longer. Each one of us 
we're no longer people of darkness. We're no longer walking around with blinders on our eyes as a people who don't see. We're walking around with eyes wide open, hearts wide open, a people who are preparing ourselves for this great day of the Lord where we're going to be sickled in, harvested in, and brought to be with the Lord for all of eternity. Let's just simply prepare ourselves. Every day, we say, this is overwhelming. This is too much. For those of us who have been hearing this for 10 or 20 or 30 years, it might just be another message. But for some of us who who are just getting this maybe for the first time, you're like, Pastor, this is just, it's it's a little much. It's a little much. What What do I need to do? You just get up tomorrow and love Jesus. Really love Jesus. Get up tomorrow and just... Put on that breastplate of Christ and, and wake up and be like, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to walk with you. I want to love you today. Just worry about, you say, but Pastor, that tomorrow is kind of far away. What about from now until I go to sleep? Just, just leave this place and love Jesus. I'm telling you, it's, it's heavy in the reality of what's going to take place upon this planet in the years ahead is not to be taken lightly. But Jesus has made the way. He's made it simple in relation to the complexities of everything that's going to happen. He's made the way simple for the people of God. You love him. You let him clean you up. You let him just forgive you. You don't hold on to things of unforgiveness that the Lord has long forgiven you of. You let him fill your life and change your life. And you do that every day, one day at a time. Every day, one day at a time. I'm going to love Jesus today. One day at a time, right, brother? That's what we keep saying. One day at a time. Every day, one day at a time. One day at a time, Jesus, I'm going to love you today. But what about my children? What about my husband? What about all these things? You love Jesus one day at a time. You love him. You get up tomorrow. Jesus, I'm going to love you today. Come and set me free today. Come and fill me with strength today. Come and give me a, a desire for your presence and for your word today, Lord. One day at a time, being covered by his grace and his goodness. And there's going to come a day where it's just all going to be wrapped up. We're just going to, I don't know what's going to happen. I think we're all just going to be like, whew, whew. And I don't know. I think for the first million years, we're just going to be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for coming and saving us. Just close your eyes right now. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and saving us. For coming and washing away our sins. If you don't know if your sins are forgiven or if the Lord is your Savior, just right now, right now in this, in this sober moment, it's very sobering. I know it's very, it's very serious. 
But right now in this moment, you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of all my sins, Lord, and come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with power in the mighty name of Jesus. Just pray that. You can pray it. I must have prayed it a hundred times in my early days. You just keep praying that prayer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for giving me a hope and a future. Lord, thank you for an expectation of future good. Lord, you've given me a reason to live today and to live for all eternity, Lord. I no longer want to die and disappear and and be forgotten about, Lord, but I want to live. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to live out the number of my days, Lord. The number of my days, the full number of my days upon this earth, Lord. I want to live for you, Jesus. And God, we just give you all the glory today. Hallelujah.